I wasn't comfortable in my own skin, but what got me through it is I just kept fighting through the discomfort because I knew that that was the only way that I could grow and become one. But it forced me to think about very fundamental questions. Talk about, am I climbing the right ladder? When the ladder you're climbing is a sexy industry like sports, you never question it. But all of a sudden I was. And all of a sudden, what if, what if this isn't the right ladder? What if I'm supposed to be climbing somewhere else? You know, when I doubted myself, it was when I figured out who I was on the inside. That's when I started to doubt myself, but I was obsessed. I said, as soon as I identified that I had two versions of Paul, I knew that I couldn't live that way because authenticity is one of my five core values. And every day I felt like I had to change who I was to go into work. I literally felt like a sellout. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck. And I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. Today, we embark on a compelling voyage into the heart of resilience, authenticity, and the true essence of confidence and tackle hats one, three, and four, the saw, the servant, and the entrepreneur, as we share the microphone with Paul Epstein, a superstar of confidence, success, and a beacon of unyielding self-belief. Paul is an expert in leadership and organizational culture with nearly 15 years of experience as a professional sports executive for multiple NFL and NBA teams, a global sports agency, and the NFL league office, leading and coaching business teams, most recently with the San Francisco 49ers. As a founder of Purpose Labs, Paul is on a mission to impact millions of lives by sharing his message of playing offense. He has installed the Playing Offense Playbook with professional sports organizations, Fortune 500 leadership teams, chief people officers, MBAs, and professional athletes to live and lead with greater purpose, performance, and impact. So prepare to dive deep into an illuminating dialogue that traverses his formidable journey through the various hats he has worn showcasing a life defined by core values, alignment, and decisive action. So, if you're primed to challenge your preconceptions, strengthen your willpower, and discover the transformative potential of true confidence, let's extend a warm seven hatter welcome to Paul Epstein on The Seven Hats. Paul, welcome to The Seven Hats. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You've all fired up to be here. Man, I got to tell you, I am... Super excited for our chat today. Your career is nothing short of amazing. We got pro sports, speaking engagements, leadership consulting, breaking records, and not to mention being recognized as a top global thought leader. So, wow. But before we dive into all of that juicy stuff, I think it will be cool to take a trip down memory lane. Our seven hatters love hearing about 
the journey that shaped who you are today. So Paul, I'd love to kick things off with where were you born and how was your childhood like? 100%. And like you said, I think journey is the understatement of the year because we all start somewhere. And I was born in LA and where that comes into play, not only obviously acclimating to a big city, of course, but a melting pot in another way and just seeing a variety of not just a color of people, but a style of people and energy of people. And like, you feel like two miles in LA, it feels like a different world. And it could oh, also yeah. take you two hours. So I think that's, that's another tangent and another podcast. But where I will bring this in that is critical to who I am today and why I'm so proud of what I've become and who I've become, but it has to do with the roots. And you can't tell by the last name of Epstein. So everybody thinks Epstein, and of course they connected to a Jewish culture, Jewish heritage, but my mom and where the majority of my family tree comes from is I am a proud Mexican descent. Wow. So okay. Ensenada, Mexico was where I spent a lot of my childhood. It's about a four hour drive south of LA. So about an hour and change below the border. And every other weekend we were down there and, you know, typical big Mexican family. I think my mom is a second of nine. So, you know, we, we kind of roll with a deep tribe and it was more than weekends. It was all the holidays and it was all of my warm memories of how life started. And it was such a cool way to kick off this crazy journey of life that we're on because while LA, you sense a great amount of options and access and opportunities and wealth and all of these things, which by the way, the last one, we didn't have a lot of. My dad was a teacher and my mom took care of me. So we were mm -hmm. a very humble, humble family with humble beginnings. And then I'd go down to Ensenada and it exposed me to a totally different way of living. You know, with my grandparents, we had about 30 minutes of hot water for about 20 people to take a shower. So it was like one wow. minute in, one minute out, like tag your it. And like, and as a kid, you think it's fun. And as an adult, well, I'll never know. Cause as a five-year-old, I kind of loved it. And then you look around, you see candles and you realize, oh, that's how you warm up the house. Hmm. Cause there's kind of a tin roof above you, you know? And so I share all that because I didn't have a bad childhood. I had a great childhood. I had a very loving family. My favorite memories were from being down in Mexico. And it instilled this belief that you can smile without things. You can be happy without any material goods. And I'll never forget that because that spirit of humble beginnings really shifted who I became even through school. I remember always looking out and it was the one kid in the corner of the playground and nobody would talk to him or her for whatever reason, they weren't cool. And that was the one person that I wanted to go over to. Mm -hmm. I just always found this sense of human connection and of friendship and of laughter. And it was all because of those days with my family in Mexico. And as I go forward, it was not just school, it also became an understanding of what my parents did, which again, my mom did take care of me. My dad was an educator. He was a continuation high school teacher. And what that means is you've been kicked out of traditional schooling, you land in a continuation and the kids have been largely given up on and there's no next stop. You get kicked out of continuation, the hope and prayer is you don't go on to become a statistic on the street. And it was that environment that my dad intentionally sought 
after teaching in traditional school and years after, and I'll, I'll share this very openly, I speak about it all the time and in an interesting way, it's brought me a lot closer to my dad because he was my hero and I lost my hero at 19 years old. So years after he passes, some of his former students from those continuation schools would come up to me and they would recognize me in the local barber shop and they would say things like, your dad was the first person that ever believed in me. Mm. And your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow was worth it. Mm. And so here I could talk to you all about the business resume. I could talk to you all about the success and the trophies and the achievement. But when you hear people that have been given up on say those types of things to you, it's where I learned what real leadership is. It's where I learned how personal it gets. It's where I started to understand what would eventually become my strongest core value, which is impact, which is how we make a difference. And the way I define impact is, am I leaving people in places better than I found them? And I didn't just make that up. I wanna be like my dad. I wanna be like my hero. I'm now a new dad, I'm two years into the journey and we're expecting our second. And I'll tell you that- Congrats. If, thank you. And if I could have one-tenth of the impact and be one-tenth of the hero that my dad was, then it'll be a great life. So I'll, I'll pause there, but I just wanted to say that as much bear hugs and laughs, and I'm sure there was tacos and tequila flowing from wonderful Mexico and just, just getting down with my family, I wouldn't trade a second of it, man. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's humble roots, but I, I credit a lot of my current balance of like, when you talk about the seven hats and the seven hatters, the reason I believe in work-life harmony, the reason I believe in work-life integration is because I too have fallen into the trap of over-indexing in one part. And the thing that consistently brings me back to my equilibrium is A, thinking about my dad, B, thinking about my family, and just thinking about all the young mistakes that you make when you know you go too far, but thankfully, I feel like your character can be kind of this magnet that pulls you back to the middle where you belong. Yeah. As uh, Jayla would say, goose pimples from that little bit of a story. Can't wait to dig deeper. But isn't it amazing how all around the world you find kids and adults who have never achieved anything in comparison to what we deem to be successful. And some of them are the happiest people that, mm -hmm. you've, that you'll ever meet. While those, not everyone, of course there are exceptions, but those that have it all are depressed, anxious, on medication. And that childhood experience that helped you visualize the happiness within the moment, I think that's something I wanna dig deeper into a little bit later. But I also have experienced speaking with those that have lost their father, their hero, earlier on. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm now putting together that those that have lost their hero early on usually become uber achievers, successful people. Because one, they either wanna make them proud or they wanna prove something to them. Mm. So those are the two reasons. And I speak about this often in my own life. My dad was present and he is and was my hero. 
but he was also, he's a violin maker, mm. and he was also not present. He was in the house, but he wasn't in the house. Mm-hmm. So technically, I didn't lose him. Obviously, he is my hero. He taught me everything I know. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he wasn't there probably ignited hmm. some sort of desire within me to prove something or to make him proud. Yeah. In, in well, that case. And you've all, all double click on something you said. And I, look, I appreciate the kind words of, and look, it's a, it's a tribe that you don't want to be a part of. Okay. Like when I say, hey, you too have lost somebody super important to you or your hero at a young age, like that sucks, right? Like nobody wants to be in that tribe, but that's just the reality of life. And I yeah. bring that up because you said, oh, you see a common thread. And I take this as a compliment that, hey, you're gonna go on to more often than not, when you go through that circumstance, there's success and there's achievement and all that. I also think there's a couple other things that come to mind, resilience and purpose. Yes. Resilience is, Dude, I've already experienced the worst day of my life. I swear to you, like I, nothing, nothing. And, and I know like, oh, never say never, don't say nothing. I'm telling you right now, no matter what adversity or storm strikes, the callus around me is so thick. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm not saying I'm gonna handle it perfectly. I'm telling you, I've already experienced the worst day in my life. So I'm playing with house money. And I yeah. genuinely believe that. So that's kind of the resilience. But the purpose is really cool because for everybody listening in, like if I'm talking to our seven hatter community here, whether it is something tragic, like I experienced, whether there's trauma, little t, capital T, and I wanna be very sensitive because we've all been through things in life. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day though, the way I think about it is pain once healed can become purpose. The ability to tie pain to purpose is a beautiful thing. You have to heal in between. For me, it took years to heal. And I didn't even know I was healing. Sometimes it was intentional healing. Sometimes time was the healer. But I just wanna say like right now, his legacy has become my purpose. Was I saying that five years after he passed? Hell no, of course I wasn't. I didn't have the maturity, the emotional awareness. I didn't have any of those things because I was so young. But I'll tell you right now, part of me being this high-flying sports executive where talking about vulnerable things like losing a parent, they're like, dude, leave those things at home. Versus now, I get paid really handsomely to speak on stages and inspire people all over the world. And my favorite story that I share is about losing my hero. Because everybody has that one person that they can dedicate their life toward, whether they're living or in memory. And so when I remind audiences of that, I'm telling you, you've all like, this ability to speak about him as a part of my job, my career, my calling to speak, it's brought us closer together. I feel mm-hmm. more connected to my dad now, almost than when he was alive, which is really interesting because I just feel like my lens is just a, a little bit more, you know, it's a more, not only mature lens, I just think it's a more developed lens. And so, you know, it's a, it's a really cool thing, but for all the seven hatters out there, if you have some pain in your life, past or present, just know that if it's a deep pain and if you wanna help solve the, the pain that you're feeling and solve that problem for others, I believe that purpose is waiting on the other side after you heal. Yep. Just a note on 
losing someone important in your life and being connected to them even after the fact. My grandma who raised me passed away. She raised me and you can't sum the love that she had to give to the world. Mm -hmm. Just it would be impossible. And I remember that when she passed and we were in Israel and we took, she was in a, a black body bag and they unzipped the bag so I can just see her one last time before she was buried. I remember I was doing Reiki and I just did a couple of symbols on her forehead and an inspiration came to me that I wanted to share because I just think there's a commonality and that inspiration, it was almost like downloading a book. Just you mm. can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Just to preface, she was a worry wart. She worried about everything. And yeah. she had a very difficult life from Russia and just a whole bunch going on there. But I will say the message was life doesn't have to be this hard. Mm. Like I'm looking from above and I'm telling you that everything that I went through and all the shit that I went through mm-hmm. didn't have to be. And take that message with you. And that's very relatable to your message of empowerment and fortitude and anything that you push forward to achieve has to be with a notion of, you know what, I'm doing my best and the rest, just got to surrender to it. I just have to, you know. So going back to your childhood, what was that like? How did you get into sports? How did you get into your career. Take us through like the high school and college years. And what did you want to do? And did you end up doing what you wanted to do? (laughs) For sure. So I'll bat off by letting folks know that sometimes you can identify and it's much easier reflecting back. And in sports terms, we say the Monday morning quarterback, you know, on Monday, you know, everything you should have done on Sunday. Of course, that's easy. So now that I can play Monday morning quarterback on my teenage years, I'm like, oh, I totally knew what my gifts and talents and abilities and skills were. I totally knew that. But the hint in it was, as they say, success leaves clues. And sometimes I just think life leaves clues. So my family used to say, you just don't shut up because I would never stop talking. And so by forecast, they said, you're going to be one of two things, a trial lawyer or a salesman. (laughs) (laughs) so so that's kind of what they told me and then well one of them actually did come true and but and then i actually married a lawyer so in an interesting way i guess both came true tangentially at least but you know look i i knew communication was always there i never knew it was turned into a profession i intuitively i like to sell things and so you could say that that entrepreneurial gene was in there but i didn't dream of being an entrepreneur I, it wasn't this shark tank obsession i most importantly i think the thing that eventually broke me in a sales was i love the connection with people i love being able to talk about something from a different point of view and giving them a big old bear hug right after. Mm. Like, I don't need to agree with you, but I always respected people. That was one thing that was like, I don't care what they look like or feel like or sound like. And as long as they're approaching me with respect, I could have a total 180 opposite view. And it just doesn't matter to me. I just feel like we're talking and I feel like I owe it to you to listen and have empathy. And then I want to give you a big old bear hug. And I just might disagree on how we see the world. And like, that's okay. And I always believed that from like a young, young age. And so how did I break into sports? Well, I go to college and no shock, I studied, so it was business and then sales and marketing were kind of the concentration and the emphasis within that. I went to USC, so I stayed very close to my home in LA. 
And at the time, this whole space that today is so big called sports management, it mm-hmm. barely existed. They had it in a couple East Coast programs, but definitely it did not exist at USC. Now they have a big program, but this is circa, I started college uh, 2000, you know, so over two decades ago. And so I go there and I graduate working for a Fortune 10 organization, Consumer Goods, and it's a outside territory sales manager job. So I'm driving a very cool Dodge Caravan. So think about how cool you are as a 21, 22 year old and you're driving a freaking minivan. I used <laughs> to drive a blue Volvo station wagon. So please. Oh dude, I think you get the trophy <laughs> then. You get the trophy. So here I am in the cool caravan and I'm a sports fan at heart and I'm just driving around my territory and I have it on ESPN radio. And there's a guy, even if you're not a sports fan, I'll quickly d- explain him. His name is Mel Kuyper. In the college football world, he is like the NFL draft guru. So he's studying kids from high school on up and he's telling you who the next best thing is. And he talks like this, like he's got a lot of energy, just go, go, go. So Mel comes on ESPN radio and the first commercial during a break, he says, have you ever wanted to work in sports? Have you ever dreamed of working for your favorite MLB, NFL, NBA? And I'm speeding down the highway like, yes, yes, yes. And the call to action was call 1-800-SMWW-NOW. Well, SMWW stands for Sports Management Worldwide. I picked up the phone. I made the call. Eight weeks later, I graduate an online course. I impressed the professors. They say, where do you want to work? I said, keep me in LA. They said, awesome. We know the folks over at the Clippers. I said, no, 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 no. Uh, Kobe Shaq, please. Like, give me the Lakers. Give me the Lakers, right? I'm a proud born and raised Angelino. They're like, no, you're going to make 200 phone calls a day in a boiler room environment. Only 10% of the people make it through this part-time role called inside sales. You're going to be a phone banger. Good luck. It's your job if you want it. And so I'll share a couple stats on that. One is, remember, I'm an entry-level sales guy. A year before I start, ESPN called us, being the Clippers, the worst brand in sports. Mm. My second week on the job, the front cover of Sports Illustrated said, the worst franchise in sports history. There's three fans on the cover, all with paper bags over their heads with a message on their forehead. One of the messages was, just shoot me, okay? And you gotta sell that. And then, <laughs> I can't make this up. And then, and then to add insult to injury, uh, that six-figure job that I mentioned that I had before was paying at goal six figures, and I left those six figures to make seven dollars an hour. Seven bucks an hour for a four hour shift. And I had to prove myself. And so that was my start. I, I, the way I describe it to others is in a world that's stuck on defense and defensive environments and hurdles and setbacks and obstacles and adversity, that was the birthplace and the breeding ground for where I learned how to play offense in a defensive environment. And that started this whole 15-year run, which we can unpack as much or as little as you want, but it ended up being three NBA teams, uh, labor lockouts, and almost losing teams to permanent relocation. Then I hit a high point. I worked for a really cool agency owned by the Yankees and Cowboys. I landed at the NFL League office. I oversee revenue for the first Super Bowl to be in New York, and we broke an all-time revenue record there, and I was leading the campaign. And then the Niners come calling, and they say, hey, we're opening up a new stadium in Silicon 
Silicon Valley. We're going to create an executive level role for you. And that's what took me to my eventual favorite place that I ever worked based on the people and the leadership and the culture. Still had a lot of fires to walk through. Still very defensive. Like the world may remember when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Okay. Yep. I and my team, we were responsible for the 70,000 fans that were irate, pissed in the aftermath, and we had to face it all head on. And those are just a few of both the highlights and the lowlights of a crazy decade and a half journey that I had in sports. When you say you were responsible for those fans, what does that mean? Yeah, so we were the sales team and service team. So in terms of who's responsible for the bottom line, who is signing those 30, 40, 50 year contracts for the season tickets, who's calling Levi's to become Levi Stadium, who's calling all the B2B corporates to own the premium hospitality and the luxury suites, well, that was us. So they're the folks that keep the lights on in the building and 80% of them in the aftermath of Colin Kneeling said, cut them from the team or we're out. Wow. So you were facing revenue drops, like significant revenue drops. It could have been a hundred million If you made a wrong mistake. It, it was tens of millions, no doubt. We could have lost a hundred million dollars if everybody would have fulfilled that statement. Cut them from the team or we're out. Do you think you did a good job? I know we did. And I don't give myself the credit. I will actually shine a light on somebody else. I give all the credit to our owner, Jed York because of this. So all the phone calls and texts and emails in the aftermath of call and kneeling, cut them from the team or we're out. That night, my boss, the team president says, what's the damage? I'm like, look, dude, I don't know. Uh, back in napkin math, cause it's super fresh, tens of millions, maybe a hundred million dollars. He said, all right, get everybody in the boardroom, 8 a.m., Jed wants to talk to them. Cool. Here's what I expected to happen in that meeting. I expected, based on my already decade plus in the sports industry, I expected a lot of CYA, a lot of crisis management. I just expected that. And then the other part I expected was a business decision. Because here's how it works. I'm not proud to say this, but the way that you deal with crisis and controversy in sports, it depends on what was done and who did it. So in mm -hmm. other words, if Tom Brady does something controversial, you'll be fine. A little slap on the wrist. Hey, put it under the rug. We move forward. I'm not proud of that, but that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. Colin Kaepernick, and I'm not saying anything political or social here. I'm just saying a story of what it was like to be on the inside. He was already two years past his peak performance. So he's declining on the field. He might cost the organization $100 million if we stand by him. So what would you do? Like most owners of businesses would say, well, a declining asset that type of financial cost, you make the business decision. So Jed walks up to the front of the room and immediately he put a stake in the ground. We at the 49ers will forever protect the human right of freedom of expression. Hmm. We don't care if you're in accounting, marketing, sales, or you're the quarterback. We will forever support that human right. So go out, chase the storm. Return the phone calls, emails, texts, let people know that this is exactly who we are and where we stand. And if they don't want to hear it, if they don't agree with you, you can make me, Jed, available. Hmm. And yeah. he didn't have to agree with it. He just basically said, freedom of speech, freedom mm -hmm. of expression, that's what we value. I'm standing by it. That's basically what you heard. 
you're correct. Yes. Not only did he not have to agree with Colin because, and again, a lot of folks listening in, while this was not a sports story, this was a worldly story, but he kneeled during the national anthem. And so that's where a lot of the, the vitriol came from, from the marketplace. You're right though. Jed didn't have to agree with him. He just took a values-based stance, but let me double down on that. Actually, it's not only did Jed not have to agree with Colin, here's the crazy part, Yuval. I don't even think most of us in the room had to agree with Jed because Mm. all he did was open face cards. This is who I am. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. And then the onus is on us. Do I believe in being a part of this tribe called the Niners? Do I want to work for a human that is making this decision based on these character traits and these values? But that was our decision. And so I think this is a beautiful story of like the way I explain it when I'm on a stage and I'm sharing this kind of backstage pass, I say, adversity is not the character builder. Adversity is the character revealer. So adversity does not build character. Adversity reveals character. Jed, whether you agree with him or not, revealed his character during Mm -hmm. one of the bigger storms. And here's something, the last piece I'll share about this, which I think is critical for all of us to apply and own in our lives. So the end of the story is 80% of our fans and bottom line customers, they said, cut them from the team or we're out. Well, the end verdict was about 15, 1-5, 15% ended up leaving. So still a bloody day, but could have been a lot bloodier. And my theory as to why is for the five years leading up to that point when Colin kneeled, we finished in the top four out of 32 NFL teams in customer service ratings, reviews, surveys, and scores. So we were treating people like gold, like the birthdays, the anniversaries, the lifelong memories, the kiddos, red carpet, white glove service. And so the way I think we all apply this is when we treat people well during the blue skies, then they repay us with commitment and loyalty during the storm. That's it. So today, if it's a blue sky, are we making these daily deposits, like these relational deposits? Because if we start to treat people well during the storm, it's just too late. And that's one of the things that when I think about how do you apply this to business and life, how can we take those relational deposits and really show up at our best during the blue skies because the storm is going to really dictate who's on our side versus not. Yeah. Two things. I think for the leaders listening, the ones that have everything online, the blame or the fame, right? Mm. If they stick with the values and character traits that formed their organization initially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without capitulating to the outside world when a Trump or when a politician or when a board member or when an investor knocks down your door and says, got to do something that goes against your character traits and value system, hold tight. Because as soon as you veer off what created the organization in the first place, that organization will die eventually. Hmm. So that's one. And then you're right about the bank account deposits. That's true for life, relationships, and business. But imagine the companies that thrived through COVID where most of their team had to stick by them, probably without getting paid, 
probably through the furlough, through fear, but they did. And I believe, and it happened with my company, I believe that the teams that stuck by the founders are the ones that believe that the founders took care of them before the storm. That was great. I love it. So you've achieved so much in your life. And I wonder, through the process, through all of the ups and downs, have you ever questioned your path? How did you navigate through the doubts and what kept you pushing forward? Yeah, have I ever questioned my path? Have I ever doubted my path? I didn't until I found myself. Here's what I mean by that. There was an offsite retreat in 2016 that changed my life. I have not been the same person ever since. I literally went through a personal transformation because that's exactly what the retreat was designed for. And maybe if you're listening to this, maybe this will resonate. Like we go, 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 and we do, do, do. And if you're successful, you climb, climb, climb. But when do you call a timeout? When do you call a timeout? Like a lot of us, okay, you hear a lot about that during the COVID years and all that. My story is years before that. The who am I? Why do I do what I do? Am I climbing the right ladder? Is it leaning against the right wall? I think those questions were more normalized in 2020 and 2021. But what about before that? Were you calling timeouts and checking in with yourself? And I never did. This retreat forced it on me. And I'm so happy that it did because I never did the inside work. Hmm. I never understood. I could, I could have never articulated my why, my values. Do I have a North Star? What is that North Star? I just knew that life was good. We're climbing. Money, title, and responsibilities tend to increase. They're up and to the right if you zoom out. And yep. that's what it was. And guess what? The rest of my life, because I know this is all about holistic life. It's not the one hat, it's the seven hats. Yep. And so my other hats were good too. Good relationships, good friendships. Like it was one of those, nothing's broke. So then what are you going to fix? But then here's what happened. I left that retreat knowing who I am on the inside. I had a clear sense of my why. I had a clear sense of my core values. And I started to obsess about how I could apply them on Monday morning. I started to look at things like decisions and actions, which is how I show up. And I asked myself, is how I show up connected to who I am? Is it connected to what I stand for? I would have had no idea how to answer those things before this retreat. But now I left with clarity and confidence knowing the answers. And the challenge you've all was, I wasn't happy with the answers. I realized I was showing up as two different people. I had a work Paul and a personal Paul. Hmm. And it created a massive amount of tension. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin after that retreat. But what got me through it is I just kept fighting through the discomfort because I knew that that was the only way that I could grow and become one. But it forced me to think about very fundamental questions. Talk about, am I climbing the right ladder? When the ladder you're climbing is a sexy industry like sports, 
You never question it. But all of a sudden I was. Hmm. And all of a sudden, what if, what if this isn't the right ladder? What if I'm supposed to be climbing somewhere else? And the end of the story is I did take the Jerry Maguire leap out of sports and I did bet on myself and we can talk all about those decisions. But that earliest one of like, when did I doubt myself? You know, when I doubted myself, it was when I figured out who I was on the inside. That's when I started to doubt myself, but I was obsessed. I said, as soon as I identified that I had two versions of Paul, I knew that I couldn't live that way because authenticity is one of my five core values. And every day I felt like I had to change who I was to go into work. I literally felt like a sellout. I felt like a sellout and I wanted to become that one and I almost knew that change was required in order for me to become one. Did you feel like you were an imposter coming back from the retreat? I felt like, um, I felt like, so we were all suited and booted. We were, it was a very kind of formal dress organization. And I almost felt like with, it felt like a uniform. It started to feel like a uniform. And, and I felt like with a uniform, I had to expose a different type of identity. And here's really the tension that got it. I won't know, I, I don't know if I'd call it imposter syndrome. I, I will call it this though. I had an identity crisis because I didn't want an industry to define me. And I felt like I'm bigger than this. I don't mean ego bigger, but like, screw that dude. Like I'm not, if forever I was just known as the sports guy, I was like, that's not the story I want to tell. Yeah. And so it's very much like, um, you know, there's a guy named Jay Glazer. He's awesome. He's on NFL Fox and, and, and he does a lot of work with veterans and a lot of other great causes, but he, in the military and in sports, he coaches a lot of athletes that are exiting. And what he tells them is that you've always thought that your identity was tied to the uniform that you're wearing, but the reality is identity is all under your rib cage. <laughs> and that's how I started to look at it, but it took wow. me some time. What was it about the retreat that made you question everything? I had never done the inner work, period. Like all my workshops, all the professional development, I never went through personal development. I didn't go through any self-help. I wasn't reading all those types of books. I wasn't going to Tony Robbins seminar, none of that. That's just not where I was. I'm not doubting it. I'm just, I'm, look, I'm in this space now, but I'm just yeah. saying I didn't do it because I wasn't exposed to it because in sports, I don't know. You just kind of like stay in the lane. It's a good lane. So people don't want to mess with it. And so growth is uncomfortable. And so I, I just was not always surrounded by that personal amount of growth, but professional development. Great. Another workshop on how to sell more widgets. Great. A leadership workshop on how to communicate more effectively and deliver one-on-ones and KPIs and reports. None yeah. of it was like, who are you? Do you actually know why you do what you do? And the fact that this retreat finally, finally, like it penetrated the skin, you know? Yeah. Before that, it was just all external. And this was my first like inside out workshop. And, but look, I'll say this. I don't know of a lot of other people at that retreat that their life changed. Yeah. So it's more than a retreat. It's more than a workshop. It's more than content. It's more than a message. You gotta be ready for it. Like I, I obviously was ready to hear it. More importantly, I was ready to act on it. And like, I say the same thing at the end of my speeches. If all we do is 
absorb what Paul just shared for 60 minutes, on Monday morning, your inbox will be flooded, your spouse, your kids, life will happen. And then a week or two go by and you'll reflect on this inspirational event and poof, it's a sugar high. Yeah. Or you could commit to one decision and one action on how you can win Monday, which is that's why it's the name of my community and podcast. It's because I just have one rule, no sugar highs allowed. Because even at that life-changing retreat, it could have been a sugar high, but I didn't let it. Wow. There's a lot of dichotomy there. So let's continue on with that message. So you've broken records. You've been named one of the top thought leaders in Success Magazine. Names like Brene Brown, Grant, Elena Cardone, Mel Robbins. I love her. But I mentioned Brene Brown because I love that. You were in that list. That's a good list to be, be <laughs> part of. But she advocates that vulnerability, particularly among leaders, is a superpower rather than a weakness. But you're in the sports field. What's your take on that perspective, being in that macho, never cry, walk it off environment? Well, I think I'm not blaming the industry, by the way. I, I own everything. It's all in the mirror. But I, I believe that the reason I lacked vulnerability is I was surrounded by a lack of vulnerability. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about the industry. I'm just being real. Like, I would never say that sports is a highly vulnerable space. It's just not, it's not. And so because of that, where, well, you become a byproduct of your environment for better or worse. So I wasn't very vulnerable. And I do agree with Brene. I do believe it's a superpower because it's so rarely practiced, but it's so sought after. A lot of the things that are kind of foundational, right? We love vulnerability. We love authenticity. When I ask people, think of the greatest leader you've ever had in a workshop, and 90% of the time, there's a single top five response. That response is listening. It's not the sexiest response, but it's the yeah. most said response. And here's my theory. I believe that listening, it feels so amazing when somebody's at the edge of their seat listening to you, not thinking of what they're going to say next. They genuinely care. They have genuine empathy. It feels so good, but yet you so rarely get that feeling of truly being listened to. So the reason it's top five is it's so sought after and it's so rarely practiced. And I feel I could say the same thing about authenticity and vulnerability. We love authentic people. Well, unless they disagree with us, right? Like it's, there's always a but, there's a but. Well, we love vulnerability, but don't bring that in work. Yeah. I don't, it, so there's always a but, which is bullshit, which is bullshit. Whether listening or authenticity or vulnerability, if you love it, then embrace all of it. And you can't put conditions on the traits and the values that you really want. So that's kind of my two cents on that. Wow. Do you feel like you would have had a different path if you were vulnerable and more authentic during your years in the sports field? Yeah, and, and to be clear, I, and I'm not couching what I said, I, I feel like I did my best given what environment I was in. I would tell you like, hey, I would fall on the sword for this. I believe that I was in an upper tier of authenticity and vulnerability considering the environment, you know? Yeah. But it's like, man, you just kind of like, you become different you become different and it wasn't bad different. It was like, man, I'm just showing up at 70%. So it wasn't like you intentionally 
aren't authentic, you intentionally aren't vulnerable, I just feel like there's a ceiling that's lower than 100% and you believe that that ceiling is the ceiling and it's not. It's just kind of where the thermometer and the temperature gauge was around you and eventually that's all you know. I remember I only worked in a different industry for a year, year and a half. So my professional career was one industry. Outside of that year, I hung out in one space. And so that's kind of what I was, just like a family, for better or worse, you acclimate to whatever that is. But I'm just happy that I woke up, you know? And to me, I think life is just such a, an awareness game, which is why like when we talk EQ, emotional intelligence, it's so confusing the way that it's described online. Like I don't even understand half the definitions out there. So consultants, please stop confusing people if you want them to do something with it, okay? That's my message. Now here is how I simplify emotional intelligence. It's an awareness trifecta. It's awareness of self, awareness of others, awareness of situation. And then for the highest EQs, sprinkle in some emotional management. So give me that awareness trifecta and tell me you can manage your emotions. You got solid EQ. And so for me, I think it was just a matter of like raising my EQ to say, oh, that retreat gave me greater awareness of self. And as a result, that's kind of where the transformation came from. I think I was high in awareness elsewhere, but I didn't have the awareness in the mirror. And again, I think the workshop woke me up. So how did you transition from a budding career in in sports to public speaking? I used to speak a lot as a part of the day job. Niners sell the most widgets. Paul, go to the New York League meetings and tell them best practices on selling more widgets. I used to speak from my head. Now I speak from my heart. So I, I always felt like there was something there. I knew that I loved it but I didn't always love the message. It was just, it was a job. But now I feel like it's my calling to create the change that I think is needed in the business world. Because, and the reason I focus on business, it's because A, we're gonna work over a hundred thousand hours and then Mm -hmm. we sleep and then we do everything else. It goes in that order. And I believe if we can find purpose in our work, then we live the rest of our life with greater happiness, fulfillment, and intention. And so what happens is people try to find purpose in life and they just hate their jobs. And then they wonder why they're struggling. It's because you spend 100,000 hours, the biggest piece of time, if you do find no joy, no fulfillment, no happiness out of this thing called work, you're not gonna live the happiest of life because, because it occupies the majority of your time. But when you find purpose or even happiness, or satisfaction, let's bring it down to a base level, satisfaction at work, you go home a better person. You're not beat up. You're not drained of your energy. You can show up better for your spouse or your kids or whoever it is. And I think that's really the key. And so where I try to come at this from is like 80% of what I talk about on stage seems like business advice. It seems like work advice, career advice, professional advice. But what it really is, is holistic life advice. And so I, I, I tackle it because we're here for a quote business conference. But then if I speak to a thousand and 20 way to talk to me after I love the thousand, I do it for the 20. Hmm. Cause I've been in those 20 
And when they come up and talk to me after, it's not, hey, you, you gave me the keys to transform my business. It's usually a wake-up call as a son, daughter, a wife, a husband, a community member, all those things. It's just, that's where the juice comes from. That's where the meaning comes from. And you know, for me, like I'm never gonna do anything else. I, I found my thing. I'm gonna ride this till the day I die. I'm on a mission. And you know, I, I think the, the world needs exactly, not just me, I think my entire space, which top line, speaking is a $5 billion industry, I believe it's worth every penny of it. And I don't say that as a speaker, I believe that like we change the world one life at a time. And I believe yeah. that sometimes you meet people where they are. And sometimes it is a keynote. Sometimes I meet you off stage, but this is just kind of this lifelong mission. And frankly, I owe a lot of it to my dad. He chose a classroom, I chose a boardroom and then a stage, but the impact is all the same. Yeah. What you're doing today, I relate to and aspire to be a speaker one day to help others because I think you and I share a very similar mission in life. We are short in, on time and I want to cover one more topic. Like I said, this conversation flew by. A phrase that you used in the past and still use is playing offense in a defensive environment. Could you delve into that concept a bit more? I mean, I think the question is, how can we, as you call them, mere mortals as entrepreneurs, adopt the skills to rewire our instinctual flight and fight response and think more strategically and be more offensive? Hmm. Great question. To set the table, defense, you could scratch that word out and replace it with adversity, setbacks, hurdles, obstacles, challenges. It's all the things around you that make life and business hard. It's, that's defense. And often it's external, it's environmental, and it's uncontrollable. So there are these uncontrollable defensive environments, but you, you still have a game to play. The game could be being the best CEO possible, best entrepreneur, best husband, best wife, best kid. Like this game of life that we're playing it's not easy. Like the odds are always stacked against you. There's a million reasons why you shouldn't succeed, but yet some people do. There's a million reasons why you shouldn't make it, but then some people figure it out. The same thing can happen to two different people. One is a victim and the other one looks at it as a possibility and opportunity. So I just stopped believing that life is circumstantial. Pardon my French, I think it's bullshit. It's not. Like a bunch of bad things have happened to me. A bunch of bad things have happened to you, you've all. A bunch of bad things will happen to every seven hatter. And I'm not wishing bad. I'm saying it's supposed to be hard. And yeah. so I think two tactical things that we can do. One is, I always talk about confidence. I believe that I had two chapters in life, pre-confidence, post-confidence. That retreat I talked about was kind of a big part of my transformation on being true to myself, which boosted my confidence. Remember this formula. Confidence equals values times action. So the way we get through storms and the multiplication is the consistency by which you do it. So show me a person that consistently acts on their values. I will show you a confident person because people that lock in on their most confident version of themselves because they consistently act on their values, then when the storm strikes, they hold firm. Like when the pandemic struck, there were some people that it totally knocked them off course. And then there were others that said, this sucks, but I'm gonna weather the storm and I'm gonna endure the storm and 
eventually blue skies come back. I don't know if yep. it's tomorrow or in six years, it will come back. So I think confidence equals values times action. The last piece here is alignment of head, heart, and hands. Actually, let me go back here. We can have another conversation on a future date and I'll unpack better decisions faster and the head, heart, hands equation. Sticking on the subject of confidence equals values times action, I'll leave the seven adders with an exercise. It's a journal exercise. It takes two minutes a week and you do it for four consecutive weeks. This exercise changed my life. Mm -hmm. You pick a value, your strongest one core value. And you say, I will live my value of blank by blank. The first blank is your value. The second blank is an action that connects to the value. So joy, I will live my value of joy by cooking my favorite meal. Courage, I will live my value of courage by having that challenging conversation that I've been putting off. Those are just two examples. Choose a value, stick with it for one full month, four journaling exercises, two minutes each. So it's a 10 minute commitment over the course of the next month of your life. And I believe that that's how you become the most confident version of yourself. And if we step into that zone of confidence, then we can better play offense in defensive environments. Paul, I'd like to close on my interviews with the following question. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become? to manifest your current success? Hmm. Hmm. That's such a great question. I had to stop being two people. I had to stop looking at work and life in different ways. And I had to become the man that my dad would be proud of. Hmm. I had to become somebody that in the unseen hours showed up at his best and I just had to be me. I, I had to be me with no conditions, no caveats, no explanations, unapologetically me. And the number one thing I did to transform from the former me to the current me, it's not easy. I stopped caring what other people think. That's it. If you live on somebody else's terms and it's just not your life. And at the, the moment I realized that, everything has gotten more authentic and real and better. Paul, I speak with a lot of people and your story is inspirational and energizing. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It actually uh, provided many aha moments for myself that I need to meditate on. So I'm sure the seven hatters also benefited tremendously. Tell the seven hatters what you're currently up to how they can connect with you. We didn't even go through your book or COVID or the whole, oh, there's so many more <laughs> topics to, to cover, but where can they find you and what do you want them to do? Absolutely. Everything and anything Paul Epstein can be found on my website, paulepsteinspeaks.com. Literally everything from speaking to training to connecting on social, everything's on my website. And also there's a gift for all of our seven hatters a confidence quiz, which you will also see on my website. If you're curious to know one to a hundred, what your confidence score is. And more importantly, you want to know how you can improve on that confidence after the quiz, then all of it is available. The moment you start that quiz and the report and everything that's emailed to you after it is just a phenomenal life-changing tool. And that's just a gift from my heart to all of our seven hatters. Paul, 
I'm sure you're going to get a lot of responses. Thank you so much for gracing us on The Seven Hats, and I look forward to potentially speaking with you again. Would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paul. Let's end today with a show segment that I refer to as, What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here is my takeaway. I want to reflect on something deeply powerful that we uncovered today. We've dived deep into confidence with Paul, encapsulating a simple yet profound equation. Confidence equals values times action. Got me thinking. In a turbulent world where every headline signals a storm and where many might look for cover, the real challenge is not to avoid the rain, but to learn its rhythm and dance amidst it. Paul reminded us that adversity isn't always the enemy. Sometimes it's the very teacher that we need. The lessons aren't in the struggles themselves, but in how we face them. And true strength then doesn't stem from circumstantial ease, but from a resilient response. When life storm tried to destroy us, we can align our heads, hearts, and hands, as Paul suggests. Can we remain unwaveringly true to our values and take meaningful action even when the winds howl? But here's the kicker. It's not about what the world throws our way, but how we catch it, mold it, and reimagine its purpose. And in doing so, we don't just survive, we thrive, evolve, and transcend. So as you step into the next chapter of your week, remember that confidence isn't a gift given, but a muscle built. We aren't just weathering storms, we're crafting legacies. And remember, in the dance of life, confidence is your rhythm, so keep on dancing. I want to thank Paul once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so that we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.